Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Lord, we, we lift up this word to you. Uh, we, we know that you spoke it through the Apostle Paul to your church by the, the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And that word is here for us this morning, your church, your bride, your body here 2,000 some odd years later. Same thing applies. Lord, teach us to walk worthy of the calling that you've given us. Help us to live in light of your grace in light of all that you've done for us, Lord. So, Lord, where there are lives this morning that are not walking worthy, and who among us can't, like, chalk something into that, Lord? Uh, We are all being sanctified. So would you please, just by your Spirit, speak to those issues in each of our hearts that would you desire to change that we could glorify you, that we would glorify you more and more every day. Look more and more like Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul's a prisoner. He's in Rome. He's been there for a couple years. He's been probably in prison for four or five years. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, the gospel that Jesus commissioned him to preach And the message he was to preach was to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, that they would be a part of God's people. And he went around and he preached it. Did he ever preach it? And because of that, many of the Jews got upset at him and other things, and he he was imprisoned and went all the way up to Rome here. And as a prisoner sitting in this cell, he says he's a prisoner of the Lord. He's not a prisoner of circumstances. He knows who his Lord is. He knows what God has called him to do. He knows why he's in the situation he's in. And he's writing to the churches. He would write the prison prison epistles, several letters to the church in these hard circumstances. And one thing he wanted them to know, because persecution was headed their way, he wanted them to know who they were in Christ Jesus. They had to know their identity. How many of you have been on sports teams? What's the wonderful thing about sport teams? You go and you try out, and you go, yay, I'm going to play right field sometimes. Uh, and so, I'm just kidding, but that's true for me a little bit. Uh, so we played, <clears throat> and you make the team. Instantly, the coach is saying, you're on the team, and he gives you a name. He says, we are the blockheads, whatever you are. That was one of my teams, basically, because we were a concrete team, but call us the blockheads. <laughs> this is your identity. This is, this is the banner for what you have. I'm the coach. I'm telling you who you are, where you play, what you do, and why you do it. And this is when we practice. And these are your uniforms. And he tells them where, when to wear them. And if you don't have your uniform, guess what? You're not playing. And he tells them exactly what to do, how to do it, because that is who they were. They're there to gather together to play baseball, whatever it might be. And if you don't show up to practice, what happens? You don't play. So everybody shows up to practice. Everybody practices. Everybody what? 
Everybody plays. That's great. Everybody's involved. The idea is your team, and you all have positions, and you're all working together to do what? To lose? To win. You want to play baseball to win, right? And so that's a, that's a worldly example, but at the same time, it, this is what Christ has been talking about. This is who you are. Chapters 1 through 3 talks all about your identity in Christ. And this is kind of what, under the, the phrase of doctrine, God, Paul takes forever talking to people about who they are before he tells them what to do. And quite often, I've been guilty of it before, uh, I'll walk up to someone and I'll see something that's wrong and I'll, I'll be a behavioral police, you know? Hey, stop doing that. Start doing this. And, and then they just don't know why they need to stop doing that. They don't, they don't, it's not because of who they are. It's because, gosh, I just better conform here. But it is important that we know chapters 1 through 3 before we go into chapter 4, verse 1. You know who you are, what God has done for you, your identity. And I just went through last night, and I just pegged out a bunch of things that God has done. This is your identity. This is who you are, what you have. This is what God has done for you. I'd love to do a study to where, I mean, I was just going on this, and, you know, I'm a Bible study guy, so I just pulled out all the things that we have in Christ, the things he's done for us. It... That isn't even getting into who he is. By the nature of what he's given us, we can see his nature, but what God has done for us, I'd love to get into that study of who he is. That's powerful stuff. But Paul is sitting in a prisoner. He says, therefore, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling. Now he's going to tell you what to do. How many of you like to be told what to do? Paul takes like 12 chapters in Romans before he tells them what to do. So you go, wow, that's all. This, so you're, be thankful. Three chapters is pretty good. Who you are in Christ determines what you do. What you believe in your mind determines how you will act. And Paul is talking about their minds. He wants you to know doctrine. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know your identity. I want you to know your position. I want you to know your relation to the Lord. I want you to know your relation to everybody else. So Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That word urge is beg. I beseech you in the New King James. Some of you read out of the New King James. I beg. How many of you beg people? Please clean your room. Uh, You know, this is Paul. He is a beggar. He has no problem talking to the church and begging them to do what they should do. And he has no problem commanding them as an apostle what they should do in Christ based upon their identity in Christ, their, what their response should be, training in righteousness. I love that. So Paul, he, he does a lot of begging. Romans 12.1, uh, he begged for holy living. Therefore, I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, after the first 12 chapters, 11 chapters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I beg you to do that. Romans 15, 30. He begged them to pray. I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, to, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He begged them to pray for him. He's, he's a beggar. 1 Corinthians 1.10, he begged them to be unified. I appeal to you, brothers, that word begged in the Greek. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always in Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, 
that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. He begged that they would be unified, not just in this ethereal thing, but in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God. He begged that they would long for that. 2 Corinthians 6.1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He begged them don't to, not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't live as, don't, it's not cheap. Cost him everything to buy you, to free you so that you can live free. Live that way, I beg you. 1 Timothy 1.3, he's talking to Timothy about the church. He's saying, Paul urged Timothy to combat false doctrine. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines. Timothy probably didn't want to confront people who were teaching junk. How many of you like confrontation? He had to beg Timothy, Timothy, I beg you, as I was already there, you've got to confront these things. You've got to do it. Ah, he's begging them to do the right thing. Last one, 1 Timothy 2, when he, uh, Paul begs Timothy to have people pray. Again, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is Paul talking to a pastor saying, man, you've got to make prayer a priority, first of all, in your church. I beg you that this has happened. Paul is begging. So I love that aspect of being a leader in Christ Jesus. It's okay to beg people to do the right thing, to besiege people, to urge people to do the right thing in Jesus Christ. To do the right thing based upon who they are in Christ. I urge you to live. How many of you have the word walk there? To walk worthy. Walk and live. The word is walk, but the implication is to live. I want you to walk worthy of the calling. This is the first three chapters about how you're seated in Christ, your position in Christ. And now, four, verse one, we switch over to walking. Now we're going to walk. How does this live out? How does this play out in our lives? All this doctrine, all this orthodoxy has to turn into orthopraxy. That'll help you this week. But the work has to work out in your life. It has to affect what you do, what you say, how you are. Amen? And so, he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is chapters 1 through 3. And notice, you have received it. It's yours. You've already been called. And what does he say? Now he gets into it. He goes, starts off, first thing he wants to address. There would be a lot of things that I would want to address, but he starts out and says what? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. How many have some work to do on that? <clears throat> I know you all do, but I, I'm pretty good. <clears throat> Move on to gentle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Humility. Humility is something that the Lord commands of us. It is a mark of someone who's been born again. There's humility. When someone is not a humble person, they, are, they don't have a correct view of God's mercy and grace upon them. A person that is focused on chapters 1 through 3, Christ and what he has done for us and who we are in him and how he's changed us, that's going to affect how we relate with one another, is it not? We're going to walk humbly. In other words, we're going to be treating people the same way that God treated us. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That does not happen overnight, by the way. 
It's a fruit. Fruit takes time to grow. Fruit of the Spirit. How many of you can say 10 years ago, I'm not the same person I was by God's grace. He is changing me day by day. Yeah, we're growing. We want to grow in these things. But he says, be humble. Be completely humble. What does that imply if he's telling them? They can. They have to choose to be humble. How many of you choose to be humble? Not opening our mouths when we can. Not attacking right away when we can. All these types of things. The idea of, of humility is a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We realize that before God and His righteous throne, we don't stand a chance in our own anything that is simply His mercy and His grace that has saved us. And that is how we live out our lives in front of other people in, in view of that. And I need prayer for that. I need to be humble. And so we all have spiritual pride or different things we're, we're working on that the Holy Spirit is working in us. But he says, be completely humble. This is not comparing ourselves with others. We're focused on God's mercy and His grace towards us in light of chapters 1 through 3. Humbled in the light of what God did for us and what He could have done. Really, that's a life of worship. When I think of what God could have said to me, depart from me, sinner, enter into eternal hell. And he would be just in saying that. But instead he said, your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life. What is my response to that? <sighs> Thank you. I say that a lot, but that's what worship is. We live that life of humility. He says, and be gentle. Our attitude towards others, uh, humility before God breeds gentleness towards others is what I was thinking. Humility before God breeds gentleness towards others. So be gentle towards one another. Be patient. That's long-suffering. Long-suffering is the spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does. I love that. The, The power to take revenge but it never does. Be gentle with one another. Be patient. And he wraps up by saying, bearing with one another in love. Bearing means lifting up, building up one another in love. That is the fruit of the Spirit. If we think of Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, forbearance, uh, you know, self-control, all these types of things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. If we are connected, if we are focused on the vine of Jesus Christ, if we are In relationship with Jesus, we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so Paul is saying that you are are born into this new family. The Holy Spirit makes these things within us. He says, be completely gentle and humble, be patient, be bearing with one another in love. That's what the environment of love is. We're not uh, quick to, to point out each other's faults. We're not attacking each other for not being mature. We're encouraging one another. We're speaking things to one another that would build each other up. That's the kind of home that the Lord would have us live. That is a spirit-led, spirit-filled church, a spirit-led home. That's, that's deeply needed. How many of you have been in an environment where there's just sniping and attacking and people are impatient with you? And I've been guilty of that myself. 
I mean, who hasn't, right? That's not what the Lord would have. And so the Lord says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another. It's a choice. Give in to the Holy Spirit. Deny the flesh. Amen? And he says, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice, who's the one who makes uh, the unity? Who's the one who makes the peace? The Spirit. Our job, our role is to keep it. Make every effort to keep it. We don't have to create an environment of unity. We don't have to create an environment of peace. The Lord Jesus already does that. We need to keep it. That means deny self, lean into the Holy Spirit, let the bond of peace continue. He is the offer of peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. We want to experience that in our church, in our homes. But we must keep it through the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. What is the operative word in those verses? There is how many? One. So let me, let me ask, do I have a different Holy Father uh, than Ramey? Did I have a different baptism than Larry? Do we access the Father through a different spirit? We don't. Not at all. So Paul is taking all these things, and notice, how many things did he point out there? What's the number? There's seven things. Just wanted to let you know. I always like to see that. It pops up. But there's one body. We're one part of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God, and Father, who is over all of us, through all and in all. And so he's saying you are unified in Jesus Christ. You are one. We are one in this room through Jesus Christ. And so we go, yay, we're all the same. Now, does Paul say that we're all the same? No. He says, you're all unified. Don't be divided. You're all together. You all have one body, one spirit, all these common things that bring us together. We're all united. But guess what? Each of you, what does he say there? Verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ appointed it. So each one of you, here we are dealing on an individual level, each one of you has been given grace. What does that mean? He's talking about spiritual gifts. Flip over to 1 Peter 4.10. Starting in verse 8, actually, I like that one better. I mean, as it goes through. 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sin. That's what he's talking about there. 
being patient and kind with one another, love, right? It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We'll skip that verse. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. Each of you has been given grace. And notice how he attaches it here. Each one of you should give what, use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of what? God's grace in its various forms. Each of you have been given a spiritual gift by God. Each of you. And notice, who's the one who chooses what spiritual gift you have? Is it me? Is it the elders? Is it some guy up in some ivory tower? Some gal? It's the Lord Jesus on the throne. He has a custom-made spiritual gift for you. That's, that's God's grace. Not only did He save you into all those things, He gave you gifts so that you could give them away. And so Paul is going to get into, you've been given gifts and you're accountable to use them. That's love. You must. There is no Christianity without serving. There is no Christianity without serving and loving one another with your spiritual gifts. It just, you can't, it doesn't happen. Each one of you is accountable before the Lord. I beg you to use your spiritual gifts towards one another, Paul might say. I beg you to get into each other's lives. I beg you to find out where you can love and edify one another. That should be preoccupying our minds as Christians. But he starts talking, he says, but each one of you has been given grace. He's been given as Christ appointed it, verse 8. This is why it says, and he now gives a reason by why he's saying it. It says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? We won't get into that, but it's just saying that he ascended. That's his resurrection. He went high above all principalities sitting on the throne and he promised to give us in his Holy Spirit and his gifts. Verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. Why? In order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself, and he starts to list out some of the giftings within the church. So Christ himself, he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. So Christ, he ascended on his throne, and part of his big plan was to give gifts to the church, and part of that gifting is certain offices within the church. He has the apostles and the prophets. We have the evangelists, and we have the pastors, and the teachers, and their whole purpose, my whole purpose, is to do what? To entertain you? My purpose is to make you feel good about yourself. My purpose is to make you fulfilled in life. What is my purpose, everybody? What is my purpose? What is my purpose as a pastor? To equip you. I'm an equipment guy. I'm to give you the precious things of God. I'm to give you the Word of God. That is what I do. I equip you. Why? So that you do what? What does it say? So that 
Well, right there, to prepare God's people for works of service. That's my job, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about that. My job is to build you up, to equip you, to tell you who you are in Christ Jesus and what glorifies God and all those types of things. And by the way, it's not just me. To encourage you to get into each other's lives, to be in the Word. We should be people of the Word, know the Word inside and out. That we might know His will, that we might love one another deeply, that we might not know our place in the body of Christ and what He's called us and what He's gifted us with. Each one of us engaged in God's plan to glorify himself by ministering to one another. But this is the thing I want to focus on. He's given the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. You are called to works of service, the good works that the Lord has called, called you. How many of you are not serving the Lord and you know it? The Lord would say, it's time. Walk up to me, walk up to one of the elders, walk up and say, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to begin. What do I do? And say, I want to serve the Lord. And we start praying, and we seek, and we ask, we get in the Word together, and as we start uh, seeking the Lord, you're going to find out who you are. This is interesting. So I played music, right? When I was a teenager, and I played, I was an enemy worship leader, right? Worshiping self, playing music for self, all this type of stuff, and came to the Lord. I'm in this body. Who am I? I have no idea. All I know is that God saved me. And as I start interacting with the body, as I start hanging out with other believers and start uh, just doing, as I'm abiding in Christ, I just start, things become interesting to me. You know, I really don't want to do that. That scares me, but I will do this. And I just started serving or cleaning toilets or whatever it was. You know, playing guitars just terrified me in front of all these church people. My gosh. But the Lord opened up doors as I just loved him. And, he said, and, you know, someone had a heart attack and they said, you come play in this place. And so I played air guitar on stage. It must have been for two months. They had a nice full band. So you couldn't hear me. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, what's a D? Like a chord D. Like, what's a D two? All I know is power chords, rock, you know, like this morning. Still doing it. And then as I began to play, the Lord started to draw out who I was in him. What I was good at, what I was not good at, what I was gifted to do, I might say. And I began to lead worship. And people would come to me back then. I'm not saying now. I know they'd say, man, when you lead worship, I'm blessed. And so there was fruit. There's people who just sense the Lord. And I'm just telling you, I sense that with other people. Man, when you teach, it's as if God's speaking to me. You know what? I see... One of the funny things is, I remember, one of the things that I really was blessed, we had a cleaning crew at the church uh, when I was first on on staff, and I just was so thankful that everything was clean all the time. These people just, they would nothing to do with the stage and the lights and anything like that. But I tell you what, they would come in at, oh, dark 30, and 
they would clean the church. And you don't know how much of a blessing that was to us that we didn't have to worry about a lot of stuff like that. Sound servants back there. I mean, how many times you go back there and you say, you know, hey, great job, sound people. It's like we always look back when something goes wrong. (laughs) Why is it, you know, why aren't you on the ball there, you know? And it's like, so blessed that I don't have to worry about any of that. I just am able to do this. And the body of Christ, and, and we're on all the same. We all have different parts. And I'm just talking about a Sunday morning service. So many of you I see when someone is hurting in the body, I just see special giftings. People just get up and they just go flock to that person and minister to them in a way that I can't. I'm usually last to know who's hurting in the body. I know it's sad, but it's like all of a sudden, uh, it's, I get there and it's like 50 people have already brought food and stuff. I'm like, hey, when do I get a call? Yeah. You know? And your giftings, you're just on it. It's beautiful. This today, uh, this afternoon, I mean, all of you who, I mean, Ramey organized it. I don't know, Ramey, Susie organized it. Hey, let's get together. I'm giving credit, so taking away your rewards. <laughs> just wanted to take away your rewards. But you guys all gather together and we're bringing it together and you want to be together and there's a feeling and we just want to be around the people of God and let's eat a meal together, let's hang out and it happens. God's called you to serve. He's called you to serve each other, serve each other deeply with the spiritual giftings and exploring and finding out who that is is part of the fun. It's part of the fun. It really is. You know, how did I learn to lead worship? Well, they stuck me in a jungle in the Philippines. Said, here's a guitar, go play in front of people. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's a great place to not know what you're doing. (laughs) Gracious, kind, I came back and and God just started blessing and leading. And all the things that I needed to do, what I was called to do, God gave me. The ability, the time, the schedule, the desire, the guitars. I mean, God just, just continued to bless as you step out in faith. We die inside when we are not serving one another. That's what God's called you to a church for, to glorify Him by using your spiritual giftings. You've got to be around the people of God to do that, church. That's one of those you must things, right? God's talking to me about it. That's why we're opening our home, right? Let's move on. But he says, we're here to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Notice where the unity is. It's in the faith. It's in the word. It's in what God says. Unity in that. We can, we can have unity as, as human beings. We can do Genesis chapter 11 and build our, our Tower of Babel, Right? We have unity in what he says, what's important to his heart, what he has for us. That's important. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity is becoming Christ-like. It's not just doing the right thing. Wearing the pharisaical type of cloak. It's what would Jesus do in every circumstance? And, and you know how to discern good and evil. evil. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, flip over there. Talking about what maturity is. 
in my own personal experience in my own life and my experience within the church, we have a lot of churched people, but we do not have many mature people. That's just fact, myself included. We have a lot of church people who know how to do ministry, but we don't know the king. We don't know his word. Let me ask you, you know, uh, any question. I can just come up with some kind of question. And, and do we filter our views on ISIS? Do we filter our views on uh, marriage? Do we filter our views on... How do, how do we... What, where do we get our answers on that? We filter everything through what he says. But do we, do we know that? I'm not scolding you. I'm just saying this is a need within, our, within my life, within our life, to come to unity in the faith. So we all together are saying, this is truth. This is what the Lord says about these things. This brings him glory. This tickles his heart. This makes him happy. This is what we're created for. This is how he would deal with this. Just bomb the heck out of him. Where does it say that? I want to. What does God say about our enemies? I'm just saying, we got some things to pray about and think about and, and to go. And, and we're getting into a crazy society right now. Things are, are not square with traditional Christianity. We're, we've moved away from that, way away from it. But how are we going to answer that? The questions. We've got to come to the Word. What does the Lord say with, about all this stuff? What does the Lord say about it? What does he say about it? We stand upon it. We've got to know it. It means we've got to be in it. In chapter 5 of Hebrews, kind of, verse 12. And boy, I feel like this, like this verse is for me, but he says, In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. How many of you feel like that? Oh, gosh, yeah. He says, you need milk, not solid food. He says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the what? The mature, the, the solid food. What is solid food? You're weaned off the milk, and you're brought on to the solid foods. He's trying to make a spiritual analogy about being an infant and being mature in Christ. And he defines what it means. It says, but the solid food is for the mature who by constant use, the food is the word of God. By constant use of the word of God have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know God's will in circumstances. You're able to walk into and you can see what's happening in our homes and our lives in, in business decisions or whatever it is and it's all filtered about how would the king do this? What would bring glory to God? And you know his heart because you know his word which is his heart. Amen? Some of you are in critical positions in our community and I pray for you and I praise God for you. And I'm asking for the Lord's wisdom in your life, that you just don't go with the flow on everything. That you say, what does the Lord have to say in the circumstances? And guess what happens when you do what the Lord wants? Things go better for you sometimes, but you get persecuted. How many of you are looking forward to some persecution as the days grow darker? That's what's coming. That's why you need to know who you are, what position you play. 
Because when it hits, when you're a prisoner, who are you prisoner for? Prisoner of the Lord. I know who he is. I know what he says. I know who I am, and I know I'm, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And he's to I, who I answer to. I don't know if I want to read forward in this. But he goes on, hold on, Hebrews 6, he says, that, that, that's what solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Be in the word, chew on it every day. Apply it to your life is what he's saying. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an infant. You don't scold an infant for being an infant. You're just having milk. It's time for you to have a steak, one-year-old. It's like, what? They're an infant. But let's just say a 30-year-old drinking formula, we've got some problems. Right? Right. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings. What are the elementary teachings about Christ? The foundations. This is a new beginner's class. You want to teach new beginners? Here we go. Be talking, uh, let's see here, about Christ and be talk, taken forward with maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death. That's 101. And um, faith in God, 101. Instruction about cleansing rites. That was something they were dealing with. Laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will move on. He's talking about Melchizedek and the righteousness of Christ. I mean, he's getting into some crazy stuff in Hebrews there. He's saying, you guys should know this stuff. But you haven't been chewing on the word. You've been chewing on TV. You've been chewing on whatever. Anything but. Chew on the word. Get it in your life. You need it. So back to Ephesians real quickly. <clears throat> and the idea is that we reach, attain the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ, verse 13, that we become like Christ, that he fills us, and, and we are the way that Jesus would live, we would live. And he goes, verse 14, so then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. One of the things I'm always looking out for in the body of Christ is false teaching. I know you guys are free in Christ to go and listen to a bunch of teaching, but, you know, whenever people ask me, hey, who do I listen to? I always give like six or seven great teachers, and it's kind of within the spectrum of Christianity, all, from, all the way from Reformed to, you know, some cutting-edge type things. But I just feel like these people are, are people who know the Word, they're not gimmicky. They're just, they just know the word. And, and I would give you those people. And there's just some things. If you guys are out there listening to certain televangelists on, on Saturday morning or Sunday morning, so be really careful. I mean, there's a guy out there saying, you know what, my family almost died because our Learjet got old. We, I'm not kidding. It's, you guys need to step out in faith because this is God's ministry to the world. And you need to give, and God will, God will bless you as you give. And see how there's good things mixed in there? People, honest people go, gosh, you know, I want to touch God's people. I want to do God's life. And they say, well, I want to help this guy get a, get a Learjet so he can, a new Learjet, so he can fly around the country with his family and, and minister for God. 
Did Jesus fly around in a Learjet? How did Jesus live? Did he even have a house? I'm just saying. His house is not of here. The way he lived was not for earthly possessions, was it? Not to say we can't have earthly possessions. That's not it. That's not what we're talking about, right? But you look at the ministers. Look at my life, right? What do I, what do, I do? How do I say? How do I act? How do I treat my wife? What's going on with my kids? What do I do with my money? What do I do with my time? What do I do? Think You've got to be looking. Does it match up with the Word of God? Does it? And if you don't know, that's okay. It's time to dig in, right? Because we got great people who know the Bible who come to your door and knock or preach on a Sunday or whatever. They're taking you for a ride. They're giving you a bunch of good, but just enough evil, so be careful. Notice how he describes them, the people who are coming in. There's uh, people who are susceptible. Infants are susceptible to whatever blo- comes their way. They're at the... They're, they're, they're at the disposal of the influences around them, are they not? We don't put an infant out on the highway and say, have fun. No, we take them, we put them in a car seat, we protect them, we feed them, we take care of them, we guide them, we we show them what they can and cannot do. I mean, it's all about that. They're not ready for that. And and he talks about these teachers who come in. How are, they, how are they? every wind of do- teaching, every wind of doctrine? And notice how they're, they're cunning and craftiness. That word, I think cunning is, is a word for dice. It's like they're on the street and they're trying to get you to come play poker so that you can win. That's the idea behind it. And they roll the dice and you're kind of enticed going, yay, I'm going to get something out of this. And so they're cunning, they're crafty. They're going to appeal to your flesh. They're going to appeal to things that you want and desire. They're not going to tell you the truth. Be careful. It's going to tickle your ears. It's going to make you happy inside when you walk away instead of convicted sometimes, right? I'm not going to mention Jesus or repent or those kind of lovely words, right? They're deceitful scheming. But he says, instead... In place of all that nonsense, he says, verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We speak the truth. John, remember Pilate? What is truth? Speaking the truth. Your truth is not my truth. My truth, truth, what is truth today, right? Pilate said, what is truth? What did Jesus say? John 17, 17. Truth? Your word is truth. This is where truth is found, what comes out of his mouth. That's where we find what a truth is about any subject. And he says, we're going to speak the truth. Notice it's in agape, it's in love. The motive isn't to tear down or to destroy, but it's to build up. That's how he's speaking to the church, and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's you guys growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work. The body does not function without each part doing its work. So you need to know who you are, and you need to, and you need to begin to respond to Christ Jesus. We are responding, many of us, but we need to grow in that in our response to the Lord and 
Every part has a work. We're headed towards that in our church this next year. Did you know that? We're headed towards vision. We're headed towards purpose. I'm going to lay out some things with you. The elders are going to lay out some things. There's going to be some demands. Can you believe it? On all of us. What it means to be in leadership. What it means to be a part of this church. What it means when we're going forward. And we're going to do our best in, to put it right up against the Word of God. This is what he says. So a lot of teaching out of the Word. A lot of doing. A lot of expectation. A lot of coaching. A lot of, hey, let's put on a uniform. Let's, you play here, you play here, you play here, you play here. Oh, well, you didn't do so good there. I didn't do so good here, so let's move around. Let's move forward because the aim is to glorify God. How does he want to be glorified? Oh, we're going to get into that. It's going to be awesome. Really quickly. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So is this a, a suggestion? So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live, walk, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul's talking about their minds right there. He's talking about their thinking is their identity, who they think they are, is not in line with what God says. That's what Gentiles live. You're no longer to walk like that. You're to walk according to chapters 1 through 3. You have hard hearts when you're like that. But it says, they've having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. And so those are the things that people who are not identified with Jesus Christ and walking out their lives in Jesus Christ. They're identified with their flesh and they're walking out in the flesh. They're, they're dead to Christ. They've lost all sensitivity to God. They're given over to their sinful natures. And so when we see that in the church, we call it out. In me and in everybody. We just call it out. How do we do that? In love. And with much humility and patience. And right? Lord, help us. Full of greed. We could talk about that. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. So when you hear of Christ, you come to Christ, you're now taught how to live. You were taught with regard, verse 22, to your former way of life, the old Gentile life, the old man, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's how we used to live. You're taught to put that off. That means that there's instruction about what we are to do and not do, what we're to wear and what we're not to wear, so to speak, not in our clothes, but in our lives. That's not me just telling you what to do. That's you also working with me, right? This is all of us conforming to the word. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, your thinking. To put on the new man, verse 24, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood. This is telling me that Jesus saves liars. And there are liars in the church. There are liars in our church. Did you know that? 
And Jesus is teaching liars to no longer be liars. But what is he saying? Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's what the Lord wants to do with you. Anybody has trouble lying? God wants you to be someone who learns to speak truthfully. God can do that in you. That's what he desires to do through you. You must put off lying, put on truthfulness. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Any of you, uh, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So guess what? Does God save angry people? Anybody angry in the church? Anybody have anger issues in the church? Not me. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Notice he doesn't say, don't be angry. There's anger in the world. There is anger, anger. There is emotions. But he says, in your anger, this is how you deal with it. If you get upset, he says, you're not to do what you used to do to let it fester. But that was a way of life. That's no longer a way of life for you. Because if you do, you're going to give a foothold to the devil. He's going to hold on to you, and he's going to start attacking. He's going to use that. How many of you know bitter people? How many of you have been bitter? How many of you struggle with bitterness? People hurt you. You're mad, angry, frustrated, right? Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Just talk it out. The principle is you don't let it fester. You address it. You walk. It's something we all have to work on. Don't let the devil give a foothold. That word foothold is the same word for wiles, the schemes. Don't let him don't let him hold on to you. Verse 28, we're almost there. Anyone who has been stealing. So God saves thieves. Any of you like, oh gosh, well, I don't steal. How are your taxes doing? Pencils at the office, whatever it is, I don't care. I mean time. Money, downloading music, movies, whatever that, that you didn't pay for. I, I, where do you want to go? Stealing, taking something that's not rightfully yours. You didn't earn. It's like, boy, that's, that's prevalent in our culture. Anyone who has been stealing must what? Taking benefits you don't deserve. Whatever it is. I mean, just lay it out there. That aren't yours. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now here's what he wants you to do. But must work. Doing something useful with their own hands. Why? So that they look good at church? That they may have something to share with those in need. God wants to take thieves and make them givers. That's what the power of the cross does. Liars into truth sayers. Angry people into reconcilers. That's what the cross should do. That is our witness to the world. Did you know that? When we lie among the world, when we steal among the world, when we're no different than them, when we do these things, when we're angry and we do not go, I mean, one of the most powerful witnesses, at least that I've had, I get frustrated with an employee or something like that. It happens. Maybe you said something you shouldn't or whatever. Man, it's powerful when you see someone go, you know what, I was wrong, and I apologize. How I handled that was not right. And just like, and just, will you forgive me, you know? It's powerful witness. That's Christ in us. 
That's amazing grace. You know the story. You know the story. Amazing grace, right? Slave trader? Man, that's powerful. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How many of you have trouble with yapping your lips, talking junk? Anyone? I do. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk, talk come out of your mouths. However, what? But only what is helpful for building up others in accordance with whose needs? Their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. God wants to take people who are um, gossipers and people who tear down people and who are basically reality TV show personalities living out in our society. Flip that around. Everything that comes out of your mouth is to build up and it's based upon what everyone else needs, not upon what you want to do. Because quite often when we attack people, we're trying to build ourselves up. Just me. Okay. Now, you know what we're talking about, right? Okay, in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed the day of redemption. These things grieve God. So he says, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So he just throws out this giant list. There's a lot of lists. He says, get rid of all that stuff. That's old man stuff. That's old life. Get rid of it. He says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just, why is, why is that just as in Christ God forgave you? That's our example. When our eyes are upon God and His mercy and His grace and how He treated us and how He talks to us and how He interacts with us and how He's merciful to us and how He is patient with us and how He draws us out, that's, that's how we live with other people. When we're focused on that, that's how that should be reflected to other people. And lastly, five verses one through two, through two, and you don't have to go far to eat. As in Christ, God forgave you, right? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our lives are a sacrifice to God. These things are a sacrifice. They're a choice. Putting off the old man, putting on Christ. And that is how God is glorified in our identity. And he keeps on going on. He talks about husbands and wives and slaves and masters and all these types of things. Employers, employees, children and parents. This is how we're to live. This is all done not so that you can be right with God, but because you've been made right with God. Because you are all these things. This is now your new team, your new identity, and all these things are yours. You need to walk in them. And it's a choice. Amen? So by the Spirit of God, that'll happen. Father, we, we lift up our time. We lift up this word to our hearts. We ask that we would live out Lord, I just pray that our lives would so reflect your Son that the world would be astonished around us. Not of us, but of you in us. 
There would be such grace in the workplace because of your grace in our lives. The people go, who is that person? Why are they going against the flow? Why are they so kind in such a rotten atmosphere? What is it? Why don't they hold grudges? Why don't they backbite? Why are they patient with me? Why are they different? What is it? Lord, let this be our evangelism to the world. Let this be our love to one another. Let this bring you glory. Work this in us, Holy Spirit. Just do this work in us, Lord. Help us to just keep in step with your Spirit. Forgive us where we've fallen so short, Lord. If there's people in this room that need to be reconciled, Lord, I ask that you would work that out, that we'd lay our gifts at the altar and go meet that other person. There's people wherever, Lord. Would you just, we're approaching Thanksgiving where families get together, Lord. Help us to be completely humble and not hold on to pride or bitterness and all these types of things, but lay it at your cross. May your spirit go forward through this body. We just want to bring you glory, God. Let us have this love you talk so much about well up within us more and more as you say. Let us experience that. We want to know that more. Create a hunger and a thirst for us, not just for the delicious food we're about to have, but just like we're hungering for that, we hunger for your word night and day. Not so that we would be scholars, but so that we would be sons and daughters knowing how to please you, Lord. Thank you for your grace today. Lord, we praise you for the food. Thank you for everybody who's brought stuff, Lord. Thank you for the people who are just going to eat, like me. (laughs) And uh, we just want to thank you for this church and your spirit that's here. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.